All right. Well, ladies, we're just going to go right after it. Today, we are going to slay our giants. This is part two in our series that we started a couple of weeks ago. And I just brought something pretty handy dandy here this morning. Wow. All right. Did you know that you are armed and dangerous? Because we're going to talk about the sword. This is so cool. I might not put it down. Can I just preach like this? (laughs) Front row people are scooting back. It's not a live blade. I just want you to know. No, I didn't cut myself. But we're going to talk about how do you slay your giant, cut his head off. (laughs) I just feel like sometimes women, uh, people expect us to be wimps in the kingdom of God. And I don't know. I think God has made you fierce because he has fully equipped you. You can be dangerous to the devil, but we're going to find out today how to slay your giants. So I got to put him down just for a minute. I'll be back. He's so cool. All right. So if there is a giant in your life, there is also a David rising up inside of you. Let's unpack that. First of all, you do have worksheets on your tables. If you want to take one, we're going to be doing a little fill-in-the-blank thing this morning. So, And then on the back, we'll have our discussion questions. So let's get going. David is one of my most funnest personal Bible heroes. I I just identify with him. He was mighty, but he was weak. We see his strengths, but we see his failures. We see his ups and we see his downs. He was a psalmist. He wrote so many of the psalms, and they always reflected where he was at. He wasn't always walking on mountaintops. Many, many times he says, "Um, oh, my soul, Look to the Lord. He is your help. He is your salvation. He is your sure defense. And what he was saying is soul, and what's your soul? Your mind, your will, your emotions. That's where we get stuck, ladies. Your spirit, girl, wall to wall, Holy Ghost, the same spirit of Jesus, it doesn't get depressed. It's not tempted by sin. There's a part of you that is alive to God. Because when you got saved, you passed from death to life Darkness to light. And that doesn't change no matter what's going on around us. But what is affected and where the enemy wants to attack is in your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now, women, we get a bad rap because we're emotional. But you know what? That's how God wired us. So it's not a weakness, but we can't surrender emotions to the enemy or he will place a giant in your life that has control, causes fear, causes intimidation. And so it's not in your spirit. Your spirit doesn't even need to lift weights to get strong. You have ever been fully equipped to, with the victory. And I'm getting so ahead of my notes here. But it's because of what Jesus has done. But see, David is called the man after God's own heart. Don't you love that? David, God said about David, David is a man after my own heart. And yet David sinned, didn't he? Pretty bad, but sin is sin. But it doesn't matter because God sees his heart. See, I love this particular story because, um, oh goodness, how to condense my life into a few paragraphs here. But I really, um, if you've heard my testimony before, there was a spirit of fear that I opened the door to when I was a young child. And I did not realize until I was in my 30s, had had all of our kids, that I was living under a giant of a spirit of fear. And it was affecting decisions. It was affecting my relationship with God. And yet, I'm I'm active in ministry. It wasn't like um, I was completely paralyzed, except it got worse. It got worse, and um, it caused me to make fear-based decisions. And I think it was in our first um, Wilderness Part 1 that I said that fear is a prophet spirit sent to give you a negative report about your future so that you will make fear-based decisions that God cannot and will not honor. 
That's a huge, long description, but that described me. So I met my husband when I was 14 years old. Actually, a few years before that. But we had a relationship for many years in my teenage years, in my high school sweetheart. And everybody thought, we're going to get married. Well, long story short, we got engaged, and fear took over. I had a fear of commitment. I had a fear of of, um, making a decision that I thought I might possibly regret. And I broke off the engagement. It broke his heart, and it broke mine. But see, I'm making fear-based decisions. And then I began to make a series of decisions, and none of them were like, I'm going to, you know, become an alcoholic and drug addict. It wasn't like that. But I knew that in order to do some of the decisions that I was about to make, I just kind of had to stop listening to God and turn my back and do it. And I ended up going to a college that there's nothing wrong with going to college, but it was one of the worst years of my life. I just about had a nervous breakdown. I was lonely, even though I was surrounded by people that seemed to be friends. I was out of God's will, and I knew it, but I did it anyway. That's a very lonely place. That's a very lonely place. It's not a hopeless place, but I finally had my pig pen moment, and I realized, Lord, how in the world did I get here? And I broke up with this man, and the whole time I've been looking for my bill, that's my husband's name, in a different person, and I realized I had thrown away the love of my life. And it was so sad. And when I finally came back to myself and back to the Lord, I said, God, you're just going to have to heal this broken heart because I think I really blew it. You know, sometimes we think, oh, it doesn't matter. I can go here. I can make that decision. But no, we can miss it, guys. Girls, we can miss it. And I thought it was too late. I heard he was dating another girl. I thought, well... And his family loved him. And it's like, well, my family had a problem. So it's like, you know what? I just need to send him a card and bless him. And say, I'm sorry. I needed closure. And I just want you to know that I want God's best for you. Well, I'm making this story way too long. Because <laughs> there were so many things that happened in there. But it turns out that God had just completely... While he was working on me, he was working on... Bill, at the same time. We were thousands of miles apart because he was in the service, and by now he had been stationed in um, New Mexico, and I was in Minnesota going to school. And it's amazing how God got us back together because he said, if you want to call me, here's my number. And we hadn't spoken for over a year, and I had begun having dreams. I love the way God draws us in. I had begun having dreams, and I saw Bill, and I saw myself just from the neck down, it's kind of weird. But I had this reoccurring dream that we were walking in a mall, and I'm pushing a stroller, but it's empty, and he's holding this beautiful newborn baby in his big, strong arms. And it was strength made so gentle. I would wake up and just go, oh, it just melted my heart. But I thought it was too late. But now he's telling me, give me a call. A lot of things have happened in my life. and we, but This was back before cell phones, girls. So I called him, and we talked all night long until the birds sang. And that was, I think, a $600 long-distance bill, something like that. But, but, but it felt so good. It felt so right. I know. Our cell phones would have changed everything. I think we would have gotten together much before that. But here we are uh, in the olden days before cell phones. And the second time that we talked, he said, um, Holy Spirit is telling me to tell you something. I said, oh, yeah, what's that? He said, will you marry me? And so he proposed on the phone. Um, You won't see that on the reality shows, but that's okay. That's where we were. And I still said, well, my heart soared. I said, I want to say yes, but we haven't even seen each other for over a year. I think we should get together. So all this time, it had been a process of coming back to the place where I'm finally surrendered again and saying, God, I don't think I'm supposed to be here, but I'm just going to, at this point, we're going to move forward, and now I'm ready to hear. Now I'm ready to listen. And so I'm just putting it before the Lord. Okay, Lord, I don't want to hurt him again. 
I need to know that I know that I know. I've got to put all my insecurities aside. I spirit of fear, I can't listen to you. I, can, I only want to hear your voice. And I remember exactly where I was on campus. Um, and I was coming out of a class, going to my dorm room. And I suddenly, very clearly heard 1 Samuel 16, 7. And I went, I don't even know that. I have not memorized 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel for that matter. And so I, now I'm excited because I ran back to my room. I thought, okay, Lord, I'm, t- I'm kind of testing you out here. Is this you or is this just some kind of weird thing going on in my own brain? So I looked at 1 Samuel 16, 7. Remember, I've been wanting to hear from God. And I laid this whole thing down. I said, I made a fear-based decision last time. This time, it needs to come from you. So I will have the confidence to move forward. And this is what 1 Samuel 16, 7 says. But the Lord said, look not on his appearance or at the height of his stature. See, I was looking for somebody just a little bit taller. Just a little bit taller. (laughs) For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then I heard the Holy Spirit say, Bill is a man after my own heart. You will enjoy life with him. I had my word. I could move forward with confidence. You know what he didn't say? Miriam, that is my will. He just laid it out there. If you're looking for a man after my, uh, my own heart, you're looking at Bill. And you would enjoy life with him if you choose. And I did. And five months later, we were married. 37 years later, I am still enjoying my life with my David. So David is very, very special to me. But let's find out what we can learn about David's wilderness experience. Because we talked about the wilderness being in a place where sometimes you cannot see very far down the road. You might not know what the next step is in your life. Or you might be searching for answers. But all of a sudden, it's like God takes the training wheels off and he says, everything that you've always depended on for your confidence is gone. And I've been on that road more than once. And it can be a scary road, but it's a growing road if you will draw near, if you will use that time as preparation in the wilderness for something coming up. And honestly, you should be encouraged if you find yourself in that wilderness experience because God, you know what? I know he doesn't bring trials and tragedies to grow us, but he might put you on a wilderness road for a while because the best experience is to truly learn How to trust him 100%. Looking neither to the left nor to the right. Learning to hear and to take thoughts captive that don't line up with the word of God. Learn how to find the victory that Jesus has already won for us. And it's been on those wilderness roads, those wilderness paths and journeys that I feel like I have found a new level of trusting and loving God because he'll love you the whole way. He's got you every step of the way. He won't allow you to fall. But all of our insecurities get put out there and now we have to do something about that. God, I'm going to learn to trust in you. So let's jump into our story. King Saul is now the ruler over Israel. Excuse me. But King Saul has blown it. He was the people's choice. Now God was going to make his choice for the next king. Now King Saul is still on the throne. But God tells Samuel the prophet to anoint a new king. And he sends Samuel to Bethlehem to find a man named Jesse. Now isn't it interesting that we're going to Bethlehem? Throughout the story, I hope I remembered to bring these truths out, but look for the types and shadows of Jesus. We're already in Bethlehem, so it's a good start, right? So Jesse has eight sons, and God sends Samuel to anoint one of these sons king. So proud Jesse, being the proud dad that he is, he begins to parade each son, starting from the oldest in front of David, And David, uh, I'm sorry, in in front of Samuel, um, Rachel, when you edit it, take that right out. Okay, that was a really bad mistake. (laughs) Jesse begins to parade his sons in front of the prophet Samuel. 
And God, um, well, I should say Samuel starts making a mistake. He says, oh, he's tall, he's dark, he's handsome, he carries himself like a king. This must be the one. And God says, nope, I reject him. And then this is when God said to Samuel, Look not on his appearance or at the height of his stature, for I have rejected him. Why did he reject him? Because of this. For the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God said, this next king, he's going to be a man after my own heart, and I'm going to pick him. It's not him. But uh, each son passed in front of the prophet, and God said, nope, not that one, nope, that, not, not that one. But there were only seven sons present, and yet God had not approved the, any one of those seven sons. So Samuel asks Jesse, do you have any more sons? We just ran out of boys. Say, and it seems reluctantly the father says, um, yeah, I have one more son, but he's the youngest, and he's out tending sheep. You know, how insignificant is it when the prophet of God says, bring all of your sons, and father, daddy, leaves the youngest one out in the field as if he wasn't important and included, like he was doing something uh, more important out in the fields than obeying what the prophet had asked. So Jesse brings David in, and I love the way the Bible describes him. David had a healthy reddish complexion and beautiful eyes. It was fine looking. Isn't that interesting? And the Lord said to Samuel, yep, this is the one. Arise, anoint him, this is he. And right there in front of all the brothers who had been, quote unquote, rejected, David, the youngest, the one who had been out tending stinky sheep in the wilderness, has become the next king of Israel. And Samuel anoints him, and it says, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Interesting. David knows he's the next king, but Saul is still on the throne. David doesn't come charging in and try to overthrow the kingdom. No, we're going to find that David was very patient. He waited. He, many, many things happened. But what I want to say, that he was out there tending sheep. He never tutored his own horn. He never put himself ahead of God. He was just being faithful, doing his job. Nobody was grooming David to become king. He wasn't going to seminary. He wasn't going to king class. He wasn't even in a palace. He wasn't being mentored by a king. But he was being prepared by the living God. And it was happening in the wilderness, caring for stinky sheep. But he was not just a lowly shepherd boy. He was to become shepherd king. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said, I am a good shepherd. He says, my sheep know my voice, and they hear my voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. David is certainly a type and shadow of our shepherd king, King Jesus. So I think we missed something. <laughs> the worksheet question number one. But the Lord said to Samuel, i got to check my own work here. All right, number one, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And that's the most important thing to God is our heart. So worksheet question number two, David learned the lessons of a king in the wilderness tending stinky sheep. It was in the wilderness that he learned the lessons of a king. And let me just say, if you feel like God has put you on a shelf and he's, and he's put something in your heart that you have such a passion for and you feel like you've been put on God's shelf, God knows where you are and he will call you out. But stay in a place where you can be prepared for what he is calling you to. In our old wilderness experience, consider that you are in a time of preparation, maybe not even knowing the next step, but even David, it would be 15 more years or more, we're not quite sure, until he would actually sit on the throne. So a lot of things had to happen here. So just because you're anointed for leadership doesn't mean that you will step into that position immediately. Because if you would step in, in before God's preparation has taken place, do you know the very thing that was supposed to be a blessing? It will actually destroy you. 
And so you need to be patient. When God is calling you to something, you can work through the wilderness experience, and then, when, then he will provide a platform and a time for you to just step into. And in your heart, you've already been here because he's already prepared a place for you, and he's prepared you to step into it. I can honestly say for years I didn't have a clue how it was going to happen because I did lots of different things in ministry here. I used to sing an ensemble. I started the first choir, which is still a big passion in my heart. Um, so I directed the choir for years. I led worship um, for um, Dory Mendering for many, many years. But all the while, even though it seemed like, you know, and I play my flute and it was always music, 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 I always saw myself speaking to women. And I just thought... That seems weird. How do you make that leap? But God did it. But you know what? He, I saw myself doing it years before this actually happened. So he begins to build that in your heart so that you're ready to step into the platform when the right time comes along. Let him bring you the right time. Is that a good word? I feel like somebody needed to hear that. Um, so now David's anointed king in front of the same brothers who maybe... Might be a little jealous at this point. And 2 Samuel 5.4 tells us that David would take the throne when he was 30 years old, and he would reign over Israel for 40 years. So draw near, hear his voice, and grow right where you are. So now we begin to see a series of events that take place in David's life that propel him toward his destiny. And this is a description of the character of David that other people would say about him. One of the young men said, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehem, I can't even say it, Bethlehemite, who plays skillfully. He, he played the lyre, which looks like a little harp, a valiant man, a man of war, prudent in speech and eloquent, an attractive person. There's that attractive thing again. And the Lord is with him. So you know what I think? I think the, the presence of the Lord makes you attractive. I don't even know if it was because of his actual looks, but he had some kind of magnetic draw that people were drawn to, and I know that it's the Spirit of the Lord that does that. So when we're living our life for the Lord and from the Lord, there are outward signs. It's just called fruit, isn't it? So David had a lot of beautiful fruit manifesting in his life. And I can say this, that Proverbs eighteen sixteen says that a man's gift will make room for itself. Again, so if you feel like God is calling you to something, trust that God is going to make that place for you and bring you to that in the right time. And here's what David did. He knows he's the next king, and yet his, he served Saul. Saul became very fond of him. In fact, Saul had a demonic problem, and they brought David in to, to play and to sing. And when he, they did that, the, the uh, evil demonic spirits left because where David was, the spirit of the Lord was. And demons have to flee in the presence of God. Amen. But you know what that took? That took a humble heart. Never did he exalt himself, promote himself. He trusted and rested in the Lord's timing. Word three, question number three. A humble heart opens doors of opportunity in the kingdom. You have to remain humble. When we begin to think that we are all that in the bag of chips, um, pride comes before a fall. And the more puffed up we are, the farther we fall, the further we fall. But that humble heart is another fruit of just simply trusting in the Lord. We're going to pick it up. Uh, we're in 1 Samuel 17, verse 22. Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David remain in my service for he pleases me. This is Saul. Apparently Saul didn't know what David, um, that uh, Samuel had anointed David. But it's okay, because God is positioning him. Now he's going from caring for stinky sheep, and now he is in the service of the king. Do you see how God's paving the way for this to happen? So when an evil spirit um, was upon Saul, David took a lyre and played it. So Saul was refreshed and became well, and the evil spirit left him. So David operated everywhere he was in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and he served God right where he was. It wasn't beneath him to be a servant to the present king. So David has gone from shepherd 
to servant and will soon be king. Jesus is that good shepherd, and he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. So David is being positioned. Let's pick it up in 1 Samuel 17. So now David's in the court. He is actually the armor bearer for Saul. And the, and the Israel is at war with the Philistines. You know, the Philistines were there when the children of Israel uh, finally went in to take the promised land, um, and they're still there. So I think they're still in the process of driving out the enemy to possess the land. But there was a problem with the Philistines because they had a champion. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath. And he was almost 10 feet tall. All right, to look at this man, I really wished I would have figured out how I could show you what 10 feet tall looks like. Um, but you know it's taller than an 8-foot ceiling. All right, and he was, uh, had a bronze helmet, so he was even bigger with this huge helmet on his head. He wore a coat of mail, and the coat weighed like 5,000 shekels. I don't know what a shekel is, but it sounds like a lot, right? And he had bronze shins on his armor, uh, on his legs, and a bronze javelin across his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. His spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and a shield bearer went before him. I don't know why he needed an extra man, you know, on hand, but he also had an armor bearer. So, you know, not only did David fight the giant, there was also a shield bearer. There were two. But 10 feet tall, and he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Uh, they what he didn't know is that they were servants of God. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And Goliath said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And this is the reaction and response from the whole army of Saul. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. He struck fear in their hearts. I mean, you say, well, of course he did. I mean, just look at him. Just listen to him. And he probably never lost a fight, right? I mean, uh, so he wasn't afraid. Goliath wasn't afraid to threaten the armies of Israel. So... Here he is talking smack, taunting the armies of the living God. And Goliath struck fear in the hearts of the Israelites, but David had a different response. He had a fearful experience, uh, appearance, fearful words. And you know, the enemy in our lives wants to appear as a roaring lion. And he's going to roar threats at you. He's going to roar accusations at you. And the Bible says he goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Do you know who he can devour? Anybody who's afraid of him. That's who is edible. That's who he can have lunch for lunch. So he's roaring as a roaring lion. Here's the deal. Is he the real lion? No, he's a counterfeit, and he's roaring to see who's going to believe the lies that he has, because that's all he's got. The only weapon the devil has left after Jesus completely stripped him um, upon resurrection is a deception, and if we'll believe his lies, then you've listened to the roar and, and believe the roar. But see, David knew the real lion, the lion of Judah, which is Jesus Christ himself. And David, like I said, had a completely different experience when listening and reaction when listening to the threats of this giant. But see, here's the deal. How did that happen in David's life? When was that developed? And I believe it was developed in the wilderness, tending stinky sheep, alone, seemingly insignificant, doing a, a, a grunt job, things that nobody else wanted to do. But during that time, we know that he spent time alone with God. He got to know his God. He worshiped. 
And God did something in David's heart because David was listening to the same thing that the whole army of Israel was, and he had this response. He said, <laughs> he sees them, he sees the Israelites fleeing, and Goliath says, I defy the battle lines of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight. And David says to those who are standing by him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he has taunted and defied the armies of the living God? He's saying, how dare he? How dare he thinks that he can defy the living God? Who does this heathen think he is? How dare he get away with that? I'm going to protect the honor of God. And you know what? He had confidence in his God because he knew his God. Number four on your papers, knowing God is the single most important pursuit of our lives. Knowing God is the single most important pursuit of our lives. When you know your God, you will trust your God. Knowing God is the single most important pursuit of our lives. When you know your God, you will trust your God. Paul himself says this in Philippians 3.8. Yes, furthermore, I count everything as lost compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth, the supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly. For his sake, I have lost everything and consider it all to be mere rubbish in order that I may win Christ, the anointed one that I may actually be found in Christ and known as in him, not having my own righteousness self-achieved that can be called my own based on my own obedience to the law's demands, but possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the truly right standing with God which comes from God by saving faith. And as if we didn't get the message, he goes on to say, we'll see it on the big screen, for my determined purpose is this, my one pursuit in life, the most important thing is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in the same way come to know the power overflowing from his resurrection, and that I may so share his sufferings to be continually transformed. Knowing God is our number one pursuit. Knowing God empowers you. Knowing God builds your confidence that you have a mighty God on your side. And no giant, no roaring giant, no lies of the enemy, uh, no accusation can stand up against the God who is for you and not against you. And so David knew this God. He knew that God that would protect him. And so David begins to talk to everybody. And Eliab, the oldest brother, hears what he says to the men. And Eliab comes against his own brother. And it says his anger burned against David and said, Why have you come down here? With whom do you lead those few sheep in the wilderness? Do you hear that condescending attitude? It's called jealousy. With whom did you lead those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and overconfidence, and there is evil in your heart. When people, here's, here's the truth. When you step out to do something for God, there will always be someone to criticize you. And if it's not coming from a, a, a voice in your head, it might come from people around you. And so David... He could have responded to that. If he had a fear of, of, of people-pleasing kind of a fear, you know, he always had to please people, he might have said, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to do anything about this. But he, he, here's, he did something very important. It says, and I love that the Bible put this in here. It says, then David turned away. Meh. What do you do when people are naysaying the very thing that you know that God has stirred in your heart to do? You turn away. Stay there. I'm moving on. And move forward because you're being moved by the Spirit of God. Amen? Somebody went, woo, I like that too. Move on. And now 
<laughs> it's getting back to Saul. Uh, David's talking like he might want to do something about this. But let me just go first to worksheet number five um, question there. Don't be moved by what you see. Don't be moved by what you hear. Don't be moved by what you feel. Be moved by the truth from God's word. Say that again. Don't be moved by what you see. They saw the giant and they were terrified. Don't be moved by what you hear. They heard his roar and they believed it. Don't be moved by what you feel. They're terrified but be moved by the truth from God's word. And that was the difference between the armies of Israel, the army of Israel, and one 15 or so year old boy who knew his God. He was being moved by the truth and the word of God. So it says in uh, verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, the men reported them to Saul, the king, and he sent for David. And David said to Saul, let no man's courage fail because of Goliath. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. You know, I think about what that may have looked like to a king. I mean, this boy may not have even had his voice changed yet. And he's squeaking and saying, let me go fight the giant, you know. <laughs> we don't know, but we know he was young, and most scholars believe he was between 12 and 15 years old. And I said, let me out him, I'll fight this guy. Then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine. Look at you, you're only a young man. And this guy, he's been a warrior since his youth. So King Saul is once again being limited by what he sees, what he hears, and what he's feeling. And David is saying, I'm not limited because I know my God. But David says to Saul, that, that didn't fly with David. He's persistent. He knows and he knows and he knows. And so he says, your servant was tending his father's sheep. Oh, like that's a good credential to go kill a giant, right? But what happened there? When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and attacked it. What? He attacked a bear and a lion and rescued the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose up against me, I seized it by its whiskers and struck it and killed it. Are you kidding me? Does that sound like bravery to you? Absolutely. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. You know, he's prophesying. He's prophesying. He says, I killed the lion and the bear. I can rescue a sheep from the mouth of a lion. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be, will be like one of them since he has taunted and defied the armies of the living God. Is he being boastful? No. David knows his God. David said, the Lord who rescued me. Who's getting the glory here? God is. David says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Prophesy. Speak victory when the devil is speaking defeat to you. When he says, you, this is never going to change. It's always going to be this way. This, this thing that happened has now made you broken. And you look at that lie and you defy it. And you speak truth to it. And you say, I know my God. And he takes my sin and he washes it away. And as far as the east is from the west, he remembers it no more. I'm moving on. I'm not going to listen to the giants of my past. Because God, you have rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. And you will surely rescue me from this situation. So prophesy your outcome. So again, where did this confidence in God's faithfulness, where was it grown in him? In the wilderness, tending stinky sheep. Don't despise the wilderness experience. Let's just grow there. We need to kill our own lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Because here's what happened. It prepared him to face the giant. I believe that if we don't take even the more simple things in our life and say, in the name of Jesus, this has to change. And let's just, let's just put a, a few scenarios. 
Dare to believe God for your safety. Dare to believe God to help you in the midst of, of difficulty. Dare to trust God no matter what it looks like out there. So when, when it looks like your bank account is so small that you're never going to be able to pay your bills, stand your ground. Stand your ground. Because even in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, it says you're going to put on the full armor of God. And if you read the whole scripture, it's a passage on spiritual warfare. The word wrestle only appears once. We wrestle not with, um, with physical things, but with the principalities and powers of the air. So while the word stand appears four times... So we are to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore. Four times the Holy Spirit tells us to just keep standing. Did I skip a number one? I sure did. Let's go back. Let's go back to worksheet question number six. David trusted his God and declared this. The battle is the Lord's. Now, where did we hear that? We heard that from Joshua, the great warrior that brought um, Israel into possess the land. And here's again a mighty warrior, a young boy who knows that the battle is the Lord's. And he again says, and he will hand you the, um, the giant over to us. But I do believe it's important to kill the lion and the tiger and the bear. So because... I believe that God um, walked me through some healing. I believe it prepared me for the moment when I was faced with a life and death situation where my father-in-law was being pronounced brain dead. Now, I had some confidence built in my spirit, because in my heart, because I had believed God for a new knee, and it was miraculous, something that probably required surgery. I am no longer in pain, and it was a miracle that I could walk without the pain and the swelling. And so these things have been kind of progressively happened. I began to have more and more confidence in what God's word is true, and I'm just going to dare to believe it, and I'm beginning to see these things happening, and now I'm facing a situation where my father-in-law is on full life support, and we're being told, go say your goodbyes because... He's brain dead. He has, he has failed the 10-point the brain test for brain activity two times. What I looked at looked impossible. What I heard with my ears seemed final. What I felt in my heart was something a little bit different. It's like, oh, no, this is not okay. I know my God. My God, he healed my knee, killed the lion. Yeah. I had some other healings, too. That's, that was the bear. I said, God, you said we ask anything in your name, and you will do it. This isn't about me. This is about you. And this is about your faithfulness, and you've proven it to me over and over. And I'm going to dare to believe that believers of my name, when they lay hands on the sick, they will recover. If I lay hands on my father-in-law, I believe you're going to raise him from the dead. And it wasn't me. But we prayed for him. And 20, 20 minutes later, he was no longer brain dead. And about a couple hours later, they removed all the paraphernalia that was keeping him alive at one time. And he lived. But it was because I believe. And I, my, my brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws, they came to me, and it wasn't me. But they came, and I even asked my husband, I said, was it, was it okay for me to pray to initiate that? Because the whole time I'm going up to lay hands on my father-in-law, and I invited everybody in the room to do the same. You know what the devil was saying? Oh, you're just doing this because you're a pastor and you feel obligated. I said, no, I don't. Oh, no, no, no. I'm turning my back on that one, and I'm going to just keep on walking because that's a naysayer. I'm believing, I'm daring to believe that the God who helped to kill the lion and the bear will surely deliver my father-in-law from death, and he did, and he lived, and he came home a week, uh, uh, one week later, and all the doctors said, you are a lucky man. They are just shaking their heads, and we had to correct their conversation. Said, so, no, he's the healed of the Lord, and God delivered him and raised him from the dead, and it was, it was the talk 
of the ICU. It was amazing. So I'm so off track here. Let's see. David trusted his God and declared the battle is the Lord's. So we're going to go through the battle here. We need to know that God delivers us. We need to trust that God is with you in the battle. You are an impact woman, and you are a woman after God's own heart. A woman who knows her God and trusts her God. And he will rise up inside of you with courageous faith so that you will be willing to speak to your giant. Number seven, speak to your giant in the mighty name of Jesus. Don't let your giant speak to you. Speak to your giant. Uh oh. <laughs> I have the original version. Tell me what your number seven says. Oh, yes, I did change that. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So I like, the say, I like that other one too. So don't let your giant speak to you. But understand this that you are already on victory ground because of what Jesus has provided for us. And so that's what that means. You don't fight for victory, you fight from victory. Yes. And so here's the deal. So when you, and we started saying this, and I'll finish my thought this time. When you look at your bank account and it just doesn't add up, how am I going to pay the bills? Stand your ground and declare, I'm not trying to get rich. I'm already blessed in Christ. And it doesn't matter how much you have in the bank. We are prophesying. And we are calling those things that be not just as though they are. And as the need arises, the supply is going to be, uh, going to be there. In the mighty name of Jesus, speak to that giant. It's the same thing with healing. When the devil will try to attack you with symptoms in your body, he will try to put pain in your body and make you feel weak and that you are still sick. Sick, sick, sick. You feel sick. Well, what we talk about seeing, hearing, and feeling? It has nothing to do with faith. Faith is seeing it differently with the eye of your faith and believing what the word of God says over what I'm feeling in my body. And I know that's hard to overcome. When you feel crappy, it's really, really hard to do that. But we need to learn to say it's not, my healing is not based on what I'm feeling. My healing is based on the word of God. And Jesus took sickness and disease and bore it in his own body. The Bible says he not only became sin for us, he became sick for you. He took stripes on your back. And so your body is telling you one thing, but you tell your body the truth from the word of God because he's trying to make you believe that you don't have your healing because you're still feeling the same way. But it's this is time to be conscious of Jesus' finished work and declare, I'm not trying to get healed. I am the healed of the Lord. It has happened 2,000 years ago on the cross, and I'm going to stand on my victory ground because I am not fighting for victory. I am fighting from victory. And you have to declare, I've already got my victory. And guess what your body has to do? It has to line up. It has to line up because that's what God says. Speak to that giant. Beloved, it makes a world of difference when you fight from victory and not for victory. So now we have to finish our story. Here's little David. Saul tries to dress him in his own armor. And you can just imagine, he's clunking around, you know, carrying a big sword. Nothing fit him. He was just a little guy probably still at this point. He didn't even have his growth spurt yet. I don't know. I don't even know if he was shaving. We don't even know. <laughs> they probably didn't shave. Anyway, but so he's, David says, to Saul, he says, uh, well, this isn't going to work for me. It just doesn't fit me. So here's what David did. He put his hand into his bag, or he, he picked up five smooth stones, and he picked up his staff. He picked up the very things that he used to defeat the lion and the bear and his God. And because, um, like I said, I got to find my... Thing here. He took his staff in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones out of the stream bed and put them in his shepherd's bag. That is what he had um, with a sling. And he approached the Philistine. You know what? Can you imagine? 
Here's David, armed and dangerous. He's got stones and a staff. Watch out. Here he comes. And the Philistine came and approached David with his shield bear in front of him. Yes, now there were two men to fight. And when the Philistine looked around and saw David, he derided and disparaged him because he was just a young man with a ruddy complexion and handsome appearance. There's that attractive thing again. Most scholars believe that he was between 12 and 15 years old. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with a shepherd's staff? He's scoffing. He's taunting. He he, he is mocking, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods, small g. And the Philistine also said to David, "Come, oh, he says, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Oh, David was not going to let him get away with that. And this was David's response to the Philistine. You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. He says, let me tell you how this is going to go down. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. That's a shepherd boy talking who knows his God. And I will give the corpses of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. This is all for the glory of God. And that this entire assembly may know that the Lord does not save with the sword or the spear. But you know what? He says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will hand you over to us. But I beg to differ with David, because I think he did have a sword. Because in Revelation 19.15, we see a picture of Jesus. And it says, Jesus is standing there in all his glory, and a sword is coming out of his mouth. Did David have a mighty sword? It was because it was the words that were coming out of his mouth that were lining up with the truth of the word of God. Because Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is able to pierce even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. This is your sword. What comes out of your mouth. I believe David defeated that giant, not just with a stone, not with just a shepherd's staff, but because he spoke the truth of the word of God and knew that the battle was the Lord's. What are you saying about your giant? Again, don't let him speak to you. You speak to your giant and you fight from victory ground. So here it is. David puts his hand in his bag and takes out a stone. And you know, round and round, we could sing the song all together. And I don't believe the stone killed him. Because the stone hit the giant in the forehead and knocked him down. And what did David do? He took his own sword. He used the the very weapons that Goliath was going to use against him. And David cut off the giant's head. There was a final victory. And now guess who's running in fear, the armies of the Philistines. And there was a great battle and a great victory that day because the Lord fought the battle. And David participated in that because he knew his God. Are we on number 10 yet? No, number nine. Eight? Oh. Okay, back to the real deal here. Okay, number eight. When you are facing your giant, let the David rise up in you. When you are facing your giant, let the David rise up in you. Ladies, be a woman after God's own heart. Know your God. Speak to your giants. Don't let your giants speak to you. You fight from victory and not for victory because the battle is the Lord's. Let me hear you say it. The battle is the Lord's. Amen.